Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. Uh, we're very glad, as always, to have you listening. And I am very glad this week to be joined by all three of uh, the co-hosts of this podcast. It's good to be back. I've missed it. Uh, this is Ken. Yes, likewise. Glad to be here. This is Luke. And I'm Lachlan. I've actually enjoyed editing one or two of the recent episodes. Um and no, it's, it's really good fun to be back. And it's especially good to have you joining us, Luke. Yeah, Luke's on the other side of the world at the moment, um, doing some good good work. And our thoughts and prayers are obviously, Luke, with the people of Ukraine uh, at the moment. Uh, and we're very glad that our, our church is doing something to try and help. Now, we have an interesting chapter that we're going to look at today, Genesis 34. And... Uh, it's interesting for a large number of reasons. One of them is it's not clear exactly uh, what the moral implications are of the story. I'll start. And Dinah, Leah's daughter, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to go seeing among the daughters of the land. And Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the land, saw her and took her and lay with her and abused her. And his very self clung to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman, and he spoke to the young woman's heart. And Shechem said to Hamor, his father, saying, Take me this girl as wife. And Jacob had heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, and his sons were with his livestock in the field, and Jacob held his peace till they came. Uh, Then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they had heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Let me find favour in your eyes, and I'll give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me, only give me the young woman as my wife. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who's not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you only on one condition, that you all become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we'll give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become people, one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Now their words seemed reasonable to Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. The young man did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are friendly with us. Therefore, let them live in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent to live with us, to become one people, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will live with us. All who went out of the gate of this city, all who went out of the gate of his city, listened to Hamor and to his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of his city. And it happened on the third day, while they were hurting, 
that Jacob's two sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took each his sword, and came upon the city unopposed, and they killed every male. And Hamor and Shechem his son they killed by the edge of the sword, and they took Dinah from the house of Shechem and went out. Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the town, for they had defiled their sister. Their sheep and their cattle and their donkeys, what was in the town and in the field they took, and all their wealth and all their young ones and their wives they took captive, and they looted everything in their houses. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have stirred up trouble for me, making me stink among the land's inhabitants, among Canaanite and Perizzite, when I am a handful of men. If they gather against me and strike me, I shall be destroyed, I and my household. And they said, Like a whore should our sister be treated. Hmm. Right, I'm going to jump in quick. I've got four things. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You've got more than me, Cam. This sounds dangerous, Cam. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's four. I've got a few things. One of them is that against the backdrop of Scripture, the suggestion that they intermarry is a bad idea because mm. this is explicit um, instructions are given. But then, but then there's the story uh, are of Ruth. Are we listing all of your things first, Cam, or can we respond immediately? <laughs> I'm going to list them all. Um, then there's the story of okay, Ruth. You do where, that first. And, and there's the story of Ruth and there's the story of Rahab and really notable foreigners that become part of Israel. Um, and and Abraham was told that his family would bless the whole earth, so they're not to be completely cut off from everyone. So I wasn't sure what to make of that. There is a suggestion here that they acquire property along the lines of us being all for nomadic herders and all against fixed city dwellers. That seems to be right on brand. Uh, then uh, it seems to me that there's a slight disproportionate response in this, in that... Um, in that Dinah is raped, very unfortunate. When they go and kill, they only kill all the men. They take the women and children. I can't mm. imagine those women fared very well, living in the in the household of Jacob. Was that four? I've lost track. That, 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 that were my points. That is Three. about four, and your fourth one and your first one are connected, Cap, because I yeah. think about that no intermarriage thing, and the the typical example of that, which is one that I have a lot of issues with, is where the Israelites are on their exodus. And they are instructed, and at one point they disobey, and it's a whole thing. They mm. are instructed to kill everybody, not just the men, right? And so that is that is the that is the situation in which the intermarrying and the the cultural contamination, or, or whatever it's supposed to be, is is prevented, does not occur. That is what they're instructed to do when they're not allowed to marry. Here, as you say, they take the women and children, so they are not doing by killing the men as a, and then taking the women and children what they are doing in effect is not very much different from living among them except that they have murdered well at least one one guilty person uh, but a bunch of people who had nothing to do with the rape as well so it doesn't seem to me that there's any moral superiority in what they've done in terms of avoiding intermarrying my fourth point, I remembered my fourth Indeed. point. My fourth point is that Jacob doesn't identify that they've done something wrong, only that they've done something inconvenient. He's just annoyed at the politics yeah. of it. Yes. <laughs> and, and even there, I, I, I think that he's completely incorrect in his assessment of the situation. Only the chapter before, he has reconciled with Esau, and a theme of that was the great multitudes of his household. Esau was impressed. Who are all these people? 
right? And um, and then then in verse thirty, um, in verse thirty here of chapter thirty-four, Jacob is pleading, oh, you know, the I've only got a small number of men, and if they gather against me and attack me, I'll be destroyed. Um, I and he's clearly wrong about that because uh, the reason why the uh, Hivites wanted to marry was so that Jacob's property yeah. would become <laughs> theirs and they thought that was a desirable Well, that's thing. exactly right. I was going to allude to that, Ken. There, This story is just full of deceptions. So it is true that the sons of Jacob in their, in their cunning plan are deceptive about the, the, the full extent of what they're envisaging taking place around this this mass circumstance. The narrator, the narrator goes out of their way to say it is deceptive. So you're yes. told ahead of time. They're like, oh, by the way, don't trust this. There's going to be yeah. a twist coming. But it seems to me that the people of the city of um, Shechem and Hamor are, are also motivated by, uh, by a deception because in verse... Um, 23, you know, uh, the reason for doing this, as Ken said, seems to be, will not their livestock and their property well, and all their animals be ours? I have, you know, I, have this... to, I have to jump in for a second to defend them somewhat because that sentence in its isolation, I think the meaning, as you say, is quite clear. But in the context, it could be interpreted as them saying their things will be ours because we will be one people. Because that is mentioned multiple times surrounding this sentence. The idea that we're going to become one people and this combined group will grow stronger and wealthier. Their stuff right. will be ours because our stuff will also be theirs. And together mm. we will be stronger than our neighbors. Or something to that effect. I, it, the fact that it goes out of the way to say that the sons of Jacob are being deceived. It doesn't say that the uh, Hivites are being deceitful. If the, mm. I mean, the deal is made and they honor it. They all get circumcised before they've received anything before the marriage. So in some ways you could say they're being quite naive uh, because they, di they didn't get a deposit up front. Mm. <laughs> well, obviously there's something... Shechem rapes dinner, Donna, and that's not a good thing. And yet Indeed. the way it's characterized by, by her brothers is not correct. At the end of the story they say, no one's going to treat our sister like a prostitute. Well, he doesn't. He wants to marry her, mm. and and to to pay the fair bridal dowry. He says, "Name it, name it as anything that you that you ask." Um, you know, it does seem. And the, in fact, I mean, this is deeply troubling to me. The wording of it, um, you know, just in these first couple of verses. So I, I'm reading here from the NASB, um, Shechem. The Hivite, the prince of the land, saw Dina. He took her and lay with her by force. That sounds really bad. The very next verse, he was deeply attracted to Dina, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. Okay, so the attraction seems to be fully consistent with the, the actions of the previous verse. The loving, well, that word gets kind of used every which way. The speaking tenderly, I mean, this is really quite distorted, isn't it? It I'm reading too much into this, but it does make me think of the horrific reality of of the complexity of abusive situations where um, all sorts of power struggles around words like love and, and tender treatment, you know, get manipulated, twisted and distorted uh, to become actually abusive. 
But in all honesty, it's not quite clear to me from those two verses at the start of this chapter quite what's going on here. Um, well, I mean, certainly we see in this story, in many instances, the fallibility of, and, 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 and sinfulness of human and, and the tragic consequences of it. And it starts with Shechem's sin, to be mm. absolutely clear. There's no doubt of that. It's, it's, I suppose, difficult to... And I mean, again, this speaks very strongly to what we were talking about, about how the protagonists of the story, the core actors of God's plan, very often don't have much of a moral high ground over anyone else because the sin is compounded by sin on the other side then and arguably mm. worse sin if you consider what can says to be the case that the women and children who were taken and it was more than one were treated as prostitutes mm. when as you said dinah was not at least not to the same extent see there's there's so the the thing that's obvious in this story is the bit that's not there which is that god doesn't step in and explain what he wants done and there's some time for him to act because because Jacob finds out about this and it's some time later that he tells his son. So you think God could have stepped in and suggested hmm. a, a resolution. What What is God's... It doesn't say, would God have approved of the intermarrying or not? Well, we, I, I'm, I don't know yet because we haven't got to um, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy um, uh, where, where that becomes clear. H having said that, what is interesting is Jacob's response. That, and you've, this is your mm. fourth point, Cam. His response, both at the start and at the end, I think is, has, contains real moral and ethical ambiguity. <laughs> In some ways, Jacob is... He hears about yes. it. He hears about it and holds his peace. That's the start of the story. So why might he be holding his peace, you think? Go to the end mm. of the story... And at the end of the story, he says to his sons, look what you've done. You've mucked yeah, up you've the plan. you've made my life difficult. Uh, now, <laughs> yeah. now, I am, now I am vulnerable. And he's not talking about his vulnerability in respect of the mm. Hivites. Yeah. That is, the ones he was going to intermarry. He's talking about his vulnerability to mm. other nations. And it seems to me that there's a good Ooh, argument good. to be made that Ooh. he held his peace because... He wanted to intermarry uh, and, and therefore build his strength maybe, so that he could face Maybe this nations. is when God says to Jacob, no, you're going to go off to Egypt. This is after the Joseph story. You're going to go to Egypt and your children will be made slaves there for 400 years. Maybe that's God shaking him up a bit saying, Jacob, no, you've, you've got this wrong. Uh, the yeah. other element... But again, why, why not a bit earlier? I think, it's a, <laughs> I think it's a really good insight, Ken. In a lot of ways... Jacob is by far the least admirable person in this particular story. This is his daughter we're talking about. And yeah. he doesn't, he's, he's willing to completely overlook what was done to her. No, brothers are not. And, and that at least is an admirable motivation, even if what they do with it is, is pretty horrific. But his motivation is not admirable in any way. Mm. Um, and there's no sign of faith in God whatsoever, that, that God will protect him. He, and he's just had the interaction. Well, he may not have just had the interaction with Esau, but it certainly comes just after that yeah. narrative where he should have learned. <laughs> yeah. 
And nowhere does it say that Jacob was angered by this. No. It was simply his well, sons who were angered by this. And one might think that the negotiations that occurred and that the deception of the sons was perhaps also a deception of Jacob. Um, because oh, indeed. if there were negotiations between Shechem and Jacob's sons, those negotiations must have had at least the appearance of the uh, authorization of Jacob. Uh, and so Shechem thought he was negotiating, negotiating with Jacob through the sons. Um, and Jacob may well have thought he was negotiating with Shechem mm. through the sons. Uh, but the sons there's, had a different There's plan. another person whose who's opinion on all this is not given, and that's Dinah's. I now, was wanting to come back to this. Yeah. Because the account, if you read the, the account with Hagar, the, the author is fully capable of giving a significant voice to the female characters. Uh, and, and the story of Rebecca. If you can contrast yes. Rebecca and Isaac, right, husband and wife, Isaac is pathetically useless in every single instance, except for maybe one where he is the one who requests that God give children to Rebecca. Um, but apart from that, like in the whole getting of a wife, Isaac doesn't even ask for a wife. Abraham says, my son needs a wife and goes and finds him one. Rebecca, even after miraculously being shown that this is God's plan, gets asked, what's your decision on this? You know, you, you need to exert agency here. You you, you have the right of, of choice. It's remarkable. Now, one, one, one thing is obviously even for the time, for the culture and time, um, rape, going around raping people is not acceptable. That's a relief from sort of modern sensibili sensibilities. It's the only relief in this story. At, at the same at the same time, uh, in a really warlike culture, um, it to be raped is a mistreatment, but perhaps one that was more common as part of political play. I mean, rapists nowadays, as far as I'm aware, don't ascribe their activities to some political purpose. Um, whereas in the ancient world, you know, this intermarrying of daughters is another case. We'll just use the daughters to seal the agreement, so then we'll, you know, we'll mm. give them daughters, they will take their daughters. Not that ancient, it, Ken. That, that, that well, was I, I, done by, I want to respond by a lot to of royalty around the world. Yeah, 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 exactly. Very, very um, recently. So, um, so his, his desire... Rape is still a weapon of war. Oh, 100%. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. Um no, I I'll um I'll take that. Um it's less common. I, I genuinely don't know, but for someone who has just raped someone to say no actually I I would like to formally marry this person. Um he was quite powerful in the region. What were Dinah's prospects for her husband? Um I mean, it could have just been that from even from her point of view, it was really complicated. Well, she I that's exactly what I wanted to explore. So there is one element of agency attributed to Dinah in this story. It's in the very first verse. She went out to visit. That's the only action in this whole story that she actually gets any say in because then there's the sexual encounter, which is described as being by force, but also being connected to a love and, and tender speaking, and that's the bit that, that leaves me confused. Uh, it is the next time she shows up in the story is in verse 25, 
Um, no, verse 26, after killing Hamor and his son Shechem, the Simeon and Levi took Dinah from Shechem's house. Uh, so again, that's an action that is done on her, uh, not by her. But it does highlight that she is living in Shechem's house. Mm. So the the situation here is is clearly very messy. And I, I, I am not wanting to excuse Shechem at all, but I want to at least pose the question, are the sons of Jacob in this story primarily rescuing an abused woman or attempting to defend their wounded pride, their own wounded pride. Yeah, what if what if Dinah was not happy in her home? What if she was being mistreated by someone in the household and she said, I've had enough, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get myself mm. a man from somewhere else and she was happy. I mean, I'm, this is going way off script in terms of what's in the text, but it's, it's possible from what's written in there. Mm. Um, it would also be consistent with... Jacob wanting to yes. uh, uh, have it's, such alliances it, because it's it. How would she have been out seeing among the daughters of the land if he had not mm. allowed mm. that? It's. I mean, that's a really good point, and the the more we talk about it, the more I'm quite convinced that this is a, a, the most accurate understanding of the text that we've got to so far. Is that Dinah marrying? into the Hivites was Jacob's plan. <laughs> this is what he wanted to have happen. I I had a different thought on this story, and I was just flicking back through some pages. I'm not sure if I'm right on this. Um, there's been a lot of attention given in the story of Genesis so far to surprising, to unusual, to very, very different um, sexual ethics and, and, and relationship structures. Um, let's see, there was the story of Noah began with the cryptic phrase about the sons of mm. God marrying the daughters of men. Um, and then there's, the but that was cryptic, marrying equally cryptic phrase post flood, which seems to have some sexual connotation with Noah's yeah. sons. Okay. So that one, that one may be the exception to what I'm about to say. What I'm wondering whether is, is cause there, all the stuff with Hagar, all of the weird stuff with Lot and his daughters after they flee from Sodom, um, all of the, the 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 strange things in the story of the the various children that have been had so far, it's all been about lineage and descendants. Mm. But but here at the start of chapter thirty four, when it is described here in verse two and three. Whatever is taking place here, and we're struggling to put it together on the basis of the paucity of textual information here, but the Shechem lying with Dinah by force, that's just what it says here in verse 2. This seems to be the first time that there is a direct sort of, I don't know, sexual deviancy that is not connected directly with the with the question of descendants and lineage and of course it goes on to be reconnected a little bit to that there's this idea that Shechem has hey well maybe I could marry her and then we could form this alliance so that does actually start to tie back but it I, I just wondered to myself whether this could actually be genuinely a a new event a new category of thing even after well, everything we've already seen in Genesis we when, when when we say that judgment is not made within the text, God doesn't come down on Assad. Um, 
he he's not very super explicit as you'd expect with the Lot's daughters, at least from memory. I don't mm. I don't remember a large sort of tirade. God seems to be largely absent from the decision making between Abraham and Sarah, or at least God doesn't seem to voluntarily join the decision making when it comes to Hagar. Um, the polygamy around Jacob just happens, um, mm. <clears throat> but maybe. Maybe we are crediting the author with too little subtlety. Maybe the moral dimension of this story is seen as in its effects. So, so, so the judgment hmm. made about Lot sleeping with his daughters is not made in that story. It's made when you find out what the Moabites were like and what they did in the world. Hmm. And hmm. and yeah, so that so that the the Genesis just says, "Hey, this happened," and then we'll just hmm. tell the story, and we're just going to leave it to you to work out, connect dots as yeah. it were. There's there's certainly a lot of dots that need connecting and no one comes out of the story really well. Maybe that's another reason that God doesn't intervene particularly because it's hard for him to pick a side on this one. Um, yeah, it's, it's not good. Uh, one last thought. Um, Jacob's response to his sons, he says, oh, couldn't you have just left it alone? It would have been so much easier. And I'm, I'm going to apply this in a context that's far removed from this story. But related, uh, you know, as a teacher over the course, I've only been teaching 10 or 15 years, but um, over the course of that time, the the amount of time and care and attention uh, given to carefully shining the spotlight on sexual abuse in schools has mm. grown enormously. Uh, anyone who's helped in a Pathfinder club or run any event at a church knows. And it is certainly the case that in the past, sentiment within not just churches but scout groups and sporting clubs and the military and um, but churches as well, which is an indictment on us. Uh, the sentiment has been: look, oh, isn't it easier just not to do anything about this? Just let's not talk about it. Uh, it's too uncomfortable. Um, so maybe in in this sense, uh, Dinah's brothers are justified when they say no. Dad, you can't, you can't just let something like this slide. We need to do something. Now, of course, then they overreach. Um, I think it's a very disproportionate response. I think, I think against the backdrop of this story, commands like uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth become a lot more palatable. Because you look back at this story and you say, mm. well, yeah, actually, probably just an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Just do away with Shechem if you need to. But, of course, <laughs> that is... That is, we, we have the luxury, and it's a luxury afforded to very few over the course of human history, of having the justice system that we have, uh, which um, adheres to the fundamental principles of innocence until proven guilty and punishment only for the guilty. Uh, when you don't have a justice system that has those two things, and there are places in the world that still are like this, what you have instead is an endless cycle of revenge. So yes, you can. we can say they should have killed only Shechem, um, but then they will have killed, as it is, the most respected person in the city, which would have demanded a response. And whatever that response would have been would have demanded a response from the other side and so on and so forth. And so the idea of an, a disproportionate response which I'm not endorsing in any way, just to be clear, but the idea of a disproportionate response as a way of ending the conflict uh, quickly 
um, is a very pragmatic one for people in, in the scenarios that we're reading about. Um, and so you can understand kind of why they did it hmm. in a practical sense, as well as in the sense that they were, they were angry and wanted revenge. They were also being practical in a way, hmm. um, which is not a nice thing to think about. But as you said, uh, just now, and also as we were discussing before the podcast started, it's important to think about and discuss not, not nice things because they are real. Well, I wonder whether we might finish with something that perhaps is a little along those lines and leave it with this, uh, well, I, I'm tempted to call it ambiguity just to give it a nice, nicer flavour because it's perhaps not really all that ambiguous. Um, we've spoken about Jacob's response. What did he really think? about this incident. Ask yourself this question, and the answer's clear. Who were the sons who uh, took responsibility for, or who initiated this action? Who were Jacob's sons who did this? Was it not Simeon and mm. Levi? When Jacob died in Genesis chapter 49, he called all of his sons together and said, gather round that I may tell you what shall befall you. In the days to come. He then speaks to Reuben, his firstborn. He then says this to Simeon and Levi, the, the brothers, weapons of outrage their trade. In their counsel let me never set foot. Their assembly my presence shun. For in their fury they slaughtered men at the pleasure they tore down ramparts. Cursed be their fury so fierce and their wrath so remorseless. Huh. That is a really good find, Kim. I will divide them in Jacob, disperse them in Israel. Oh, can. <clears throat> one last very small can of worms is <clears throat> that one of those didn't become, one of them did become dispersed and effectively disappeared, disappears from the narrative. But the other one became the priestly tribe. Oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> well, in the interest of one last thing, um, I have one from the New Testament. It's often intrigued me that at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, where they settle on just three things for converts to this new movement of Christ following to abide by, a 30% of that is, as the message says, to guard the morality of sex and marriage. And it's always intrigued me that that was so central and yet not really intrigued me at the same time. It's really so many cultures have so much importance placed uh, on, on this aspect of human existence. And and I, I think it's not surprising, but it is fascinating to note this story of Dina in Genesis 34. But then later in the story, there's an interlude where um, Judah as a reckoning with Tamar and the whole issue of, of sexual morality and marriage. Um, Genesis seems to be regularly um, takes pauses to give accounts that cause us to ponder these exact themes. Um, and the New Testament felt that same emphasis. It's, it's remarkable. I don't, again, it just leaves you, it's, it's not resolved, but it is, yeah. it is remarkable. Very good. Uh, <clears throat> I'm eyeing the clock. Uh, so, Luke, unless you have one last thing, I'll um, I'll sign us off. No, I, I think I'm good. My my final uh, thought was the, uh, that we we do need to think and talk about difficult. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Well, of course, a story that has a clear goodie and a clear baddie, baddie is much more comfortable to read. Um, a story that's full of flawed people where you're not quite sure um, who's right and who's wrong is less comfortable precisely because we like to imagine ourselves as goodies. And the idea that we might not be, that, that we might be something complicated, is, is uncomfortable for us. And a story where everyone does something wrong at least gives us the benefit of being able to learn lessons on all sides um, and from all characters. So uh, certainly I think the challenge is, is to think about stories like this and to uh, you know, let it inform our, our own search for, for what a good life looks like and what, what God wants us to do. We'll leave it there. As always, anyone who has any idea they'd like to share can send it to us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And uh, you can share this podcast with uh, anyone you wish, friends uh, or perhaps your enemies or anyone who you think would benefit. And uh, join us again next week. We're, we're on the sort of home straight now. We've only got, what, about three, two or three more episodes left for uh, Genesis um, with some really fun stories ahead of us.